Yeah, welcome into Running It Straight for another Wednesday afternoon following round two action in the NRL. We are talking rugby league for the next hour, people, with a very heavy focus on the one New Zealand Warriors. Uh, myself alongside Kempe, who's sitting in the studio here, resplendent as ever. Kempe with the guns out and uh, ready to rip into an hour of uh, rugby league analysis, mate. Of course, mate. Someone has to rip into rugby league today, mate. <laughs> As you know, the uh, first two rounds. Oh, I've got to say, who would have picked the Dolphins, I reckon, after round three to be sitting top of table? Well, who would have picked that top four when you look at it? Um, Seagulls, Dragons, Dolphins and Broncos as well, who I think been quite a, quite a surprise through these first two rounds as well. We'll talk about them a bit later on as well as uh, Reese Walsh, Cy. Um, but coming up in the next hour, we are going to catch up with uh, Warriors. I don't even know whether to call him a prop or a second row, Kempe, because he, he's been playing prop the first two weeks, but he's going to be out on the edge this week. Um, but we're going to get Mitch Barnett um, on the show in around about 10 minutes' time. Uh, really interested chatting to him and a uh, bit of a change in roles for him this week. Kempe, you're interest, interested to see how that's going to play out for him. Yeah, look, I am. I think that he's... well. On the weekend when they lost Nokore and uh, forward to uh, HIA, they moved Mitch Barnett around the middle and the edge. Um, when they brought Nokore back on, they put him in the middle because they wanted to obviously use some energy up. He had plenty of it uh, with the HIA being on the sideline. But I just think Mitch Barnett has been a revelation in the middle of the park. Um, a lot of the, the clean-up work that people don't see, he's tidying up a lot of, um, a lot of pl- players, uh, I guess, errors in defence especially, mm. he's pulled off some big tackles. Like if you went back and you're in charge of the defensive an, um, analysis, uh, Mitch Barnett would be in a lot of the videos. So people don't see the things that he's doing. And he's re- he reminds me a lot of Campo. So Campo yeah. used to do the same. Like Campo wasn't the the most flashiest footballer, but he was such a, t- he, you know, the, the Michael Luck guy, he was just tidying up all the time, all these little indiscretions. And for me on on Saturday night against the Sydney City Roosters, he kept them in that game in that first half. Mm. Like he was a big reason why. And we were talking about it through the uh, the commentary about the tackle count. Like he, I just threw that comment out. He must be leading the tackle count. And like you said, he was way out in front. Um, so his effort, is rubbing off on the team. And I think when you go in at halftime at 8-6, when they could have easily been down by a lot more, uh, a lot of it has to come down to Mitch Barnett and the, and the attitude that he's bringing into the, the Warriors' middle part of the football field. The, the question I got is this week they move him out to, to cover Jackson Ford on the left edge. So what happens to the middle of the park when you haven't got uh, Mitch Barnett in it? Mm, you know, do, yeah. the, do those forwards step up? Do they, does the bench play a big part in it? I know the bench you can't really take at a part for the game on the weekend because of the three HIAs. But, um, yeah, he's, he's been absolutely superb, I think, their player uh, of the of the first two rounds. Mm. We'll talk to him in about 10 minutes' time. We're also going to talk about um, the Warriors team named yesterday for Teamless Tuesday, the game against Cowboys this weekend, and then we will tuck into round three NRL action and some of the other big matchups across the weekend. Uh, but just as we do to open the show, just revisit the uh, result from the weekend, which was the uh, Warriors going down to the Roosters 20 points to 12. And as Kempe mentioned, uh, you probably could have looked at a much higher scoreline, especially at... Uh, in that first half where the Roosters just dominated um, possession and territory as well. But the Warriors are stuck in it with their defence. The two questions I've got for you, Kempe, um, the first one is it's great what we're seeing from the Warriors in terms of this resilience and this hard work and this graft over the first two rounds. Can they sustain that for a 27-game season um, or 27-round season where they're, they're constantly defending that much and that hard? And the second question is um, all well and good to be a, a strong defensive side, but what's happening on attack? Because it seems like we are maybe just lacking a little bit of creativity in that final third. The kicking game isn't quite there, and I think that showed on Saturday night where no 
forced dropouts throughout the entire game. So basically no repeat sets down in that final sort of 10, 20 metres from, yeah, yeah. from our kicking game. Yeah, yeah, and a real good analysis there, Sam. Look, I'm going to give them a, a bit of a, a get-out-of-jail card for their attack on Saturday night because of the amount of HIAs and the you know, you've got to look at Dylan Walker and where he played. He started in the middle, he ended up at half back, he played hooker, um, and then went back out to five eight, you know. So the spine really didn't get any momentum going and behind their forward pack. You know, you look at Fanua Blake and the way that he pushed through to score that try, he wouldn't have been there last year. No. You know, and so they've got him fit and the team hung in there for long periods of time. And the reason they got done in the end, all those half breaks that Tedesco was making in the first half and saw Lee come into the back back end of the game into his own was because in the first 11 sets, they only completed two sets. Now, he said that this morning, Richie Agar, on the breakfast show, you know, we just in the end got caught with the energy. And when you're completing at 92%, I don't care who you are in the competition, you're going to struggle at the back end of a game, mm. and it was which is what the Warriors got caught in. Um, but they did show glimpses of, I guess, that resilience that you want. I think there was a tell. I think there was, you know, when you're playing poker and they get a poker tell, you mm. know what I mean? You're mm-hmm. playing cards and you're looking for what that tell is. I think the Warriors tell is when they lost forward, they lost Neil Corey, then they lost um, Nicol Cloxy, said at the back, three new blokes that come to the club, and you've got to think that, especially Neil Corey and Cloxstead, then when they brought blokes on, they didn't really step up into that spot. And that, for me, is a tell. Three new guys, they go off 27 rounds. If they lose those new players in, into this competition, then that's when we're going to see what they're, what they're made of, what Andrew Webster's bought, um, built within this club. It didn't look good when those three were off. Like You've, you've picked that. They, mm. they looked a little bit shaky. I'm, like I said, going to give them a get-out-of-jail card for that one. Hopefully no, they don't come across that again. No, and I think as well, um, and we spoke to Matty Johns yesterday and I made the comment of, I think of all the teams that lost over the weekend, I think the Warriors can probably be the happiest. You know, A lot of the teams that did lose lost very, very poorly. Some lost to teams they shouldn't have lost to. I think the Warriors actually surprisingly kept that game a lot closer than many thought it would be, but also probably what it should have been considering how much ball and possession the Roosters had. Also, the Roosters, that was the highest completion rate across the entire round over the weekend. They had the highest completion rate. We spoke about that, didn't we? Because the week before, they were terrible. So we knew that Trent Robinson was going to go in there and say to them, yep. you've got to complete. And we spoke about it in the pregame. What would, he, what would he have said to them? He said, with this young forward pack that he had, he only had a couple of, couple of first uh, graders in that side that mm. looked like a second-grade forward pack. Mm. You compete to compete against this Warriors side, you need to complete. And uh, they went out there and they delivered that across. I just don't think the, the starting fullback, but their bench played a big part in it as well. So we never stuck with them in that, that stakes. You can't do that in this competition. That's the sign of the comp. When you're talking about those top four teams that are there at the moment, if you go back and look at their stats, they would have won the stats um, hands down to get those wins. And unfortunately for this competition, if you start racking up losses, even if they are close losses, they're still losses and yeah. teams are going to get away from you. Yeah, it's still two points. Um, the stat that did interest me, though, is that uh, across the first two rounds, the Warriors actually lead the competition in line breaks. Uh, so they are actually number one uh, in the comp in that regard. I just think when we're getting into that final sort of 20, and um, you know, one thing that I'd be keen to um, talk to you about, Kempe, particularly around Sean's kicking game, um, we're so used to, I guess, those up and under bombs, and I get the rationale there of it gives the chasers time to get to the to the catcher and it stops that particular catcher getting any um, kicking meet, return metres, right? Because it's just a high up and under rather than a sort of low kick that gives them 10 or 20 metres to run forward. But I just wonder if maybe Sean might be better, you know, kicking for a sideline, giving the forwards a break after a tough set and also um, not, that once again doesn't allow a fullback like a Tedesco who's so dangerous to get running metres. Um, and then of course closer to the line rather than trying to try our hand on fifth tackle, do we just put it in behind? Like 
Penrith do so well and just reset, get another set off the back of it and just go again. So in terms of the kicking, do you think tactically we know we need to change it up? And, and do you even offload some of that responsibility to Tamati Martin, to a Wade Egan from hooker? Because it seems like Sean does it, does it all. Well, I, I, look, I've seen, I've, I think I've seen Wade Egan kick the ball twice. You know what I mean? So he will play a part kicking at some stage. I think he's your third choice. Tamati Martin... He's the same. He admits himself, like, if they're going to get on the last, they're going to run it. You know, he's put a couple of kicks in, and, and they've been decent kicks. But Sean is your, is your predictable kicker. I like predictability because I think if you can get the kicking right, it's a, a, and even more so these days, so you can't kick the ball out, Sam, because it gets reset and you start straight away. The game is um, formed these days where it is kept in play and it's played at an up-tempo beat. So what pay, um, the good kicking coaches are doing is they're working on their kickers but also the kick chase yeah. and if you look at Penrith okay, the, the, the predictable kicking I got asked about isn't the kicking too predictable well you actually want predictable kicking because your chasers know what's coming and if the chasers know what's coming they're going to compete for the for the, for the kick um, when I was kicking coach the, the, the very first uh, point that was made and, the, and every kicking coach does this is that you have to make every kick a 50-50 kick. And what, what we mean by that is that when you kick the ball, then your chasers make that a good kick, all right? Yep. Unfortunately for Sean, he I don't think he is predictable. I think in his mind, he gets caught in two minds, and sometimes he's going to hit it in, in the spot at the same time, but then he gets, and like, I'm going to run it, or no, I'm going to kick it. You know what I mean? And that's when he throws everyone else off. Now, when Nathan Cleary gets the ball, it's very predictable. You, like, I'm even sitting at home going, well, here we go again. Yeah. And on the back end of it, here comes Crichton, here comes Edwards, you know what I mean? They're coming down at them 100 miles an hour, your back rowers are getting to the ball, they're going to make it a 50-50 challenge. And that's the difference with the kick, um, the kick chase and the kick. And the other thing about it is it has to be consistent across the board. So it's not just Sean. When you do get other kickers in... Even if they can't kick, you have to make the chasers make it a good kick. Yeah, you know what I mean. So no, it's a good, it's a good I, point. I, I think one. I think one of the the key areas that um, Andrew Webster's working on at the moment is their last set options. Like the kicking, if they can lift that that game, the kicking game and the kick response, the kick chase, and they're making that on the back of leading the um, the, the line breaks. They become a more effective side. One hundred percent. I do take your point. It's a good point you make about the uh, the kick chasers making the kicking better. Uh, we'll take a short break here on uh, running it straight. If you've got any questions, you want to text through double eight double three. Mitch Barnett is coming up after the break. We'll put any of your questions to him. Uh, you're listening to running it straight here on ECNZ. Thanks to South Seas Healthcare, Auckland's largest Pacific wellbeing service provider. Back after this.